Welcome to the Talent Brand Podcast, brought to you by the Talent Brand Alliance. Talent Brand Alliance is a community for recruitment marketing, employer branding, and employee communications professionals who want to connect with and learn from their peers, both online and in person. We're here to talk and learn about all things recruitment marketing, talent brand building, and employee communications with the employee experience storytellers that do this every day. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Talent Brand Podcast. Um, Will, it's been it's been a minute since we've recorded a podcast together. Or two. And, or, or, or 24 months. Um, just kidding. Uh, pandemic. pandemic terms. Yeah. Uh, so, so for us, getting together is not uh, that uncommon. Uh, we live very near each other. But I think having discussions around talent brand and around the community, around recruitment marketing, employer brand, talent brand, things that impact the world is more and more important. And one of the things that we get lucky every now and then um, to do is we, we talk to leaders who are in companies trying to make change, trying to build something. And we're so lucky to talk to uh, these couple of folks today. Uh, they're a couple of co-founders. Um, so they have something in, in common, Will, with you and I myself. And they co-founded Searchlight. And they are um, getting noticed. So they're were featured as Forbes 30 Under 30. And we're so, so lucky to welcome Carrie and Anna Wang uh, to, to the Talent Brand Podcast. Carrie and Anna, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome. Yeah. And thank you so much. You know, we, we got to meet um, we got to meet, uh, I think Carrie, we got to meet you at, at summit this last, so awesome to chat with you all again and have you here as our, our first podcast back in 2022. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. And well, it's also our first podcast in 2022 and really in our entire lives. So what? <laughs> Very first ever podcast recording. What an honor. What an honor. Well, I think I've done one before, but this is the first time Anna and I have done a podcast together. Ah, okay. It's your first first twin sister podcast. And sorry for those of you who can't see, but uh, Anna and Carrie are twin sisters. They are co-founders of Searchlight. And Carrie, um, tell, tell us a little bit. I know you were at Summit with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and your role at Searchlight as founder and how you're, how you're getting things off the ground. Yeah, uh, happy to share a little bit about Searchlight's founding story, where uh, it really came from a personal experience Anna and I had on the job search ourselves, where not only do we look similar in person, we also look so similar on paper with the same credentials, same school, same companies. And so when we went through the hiring process ourselves, we just felt pretty frustrated by being seen as the same person when really we have very different working styles, skill sets, soft skills. Uh, so we thought if we could just fill this talent data gap, well, then wouldn't that be amazing for people to feel truly understood, for them to join jobs and companies where they felt they belonged, they could thrive, and then ultimately um, be amazing for companies to build their winning teams that could deliver extraordinary business outcomes. So Anna and I uh, banded together. We uh, started Searchlight four years ago now, and it's just been an absolute ride getting it off the ground uh, Anna and I built Searchlight's V1 together. We both have uh, 
backgrounds in computer science. I got my undergrad in org behavior. But then the second that we launched, I became uh, the go-to-market head, had to teach myself to do that. And then Anna's been leading product design and engineering. I was just going to say, you're, you have very different roles, right? So did some gentle stalking on LinkedIn and understand, you know, Carrie, your role is listed as CEO and co-founder. And Anna, you're listed as, as, as chief technical officer, chief technology officer. And well, I'd love to hear from you um, a little more about how your skills um, complement each other and, and a little bit more about your journey. Carrie is the ultimate visionary pounding on doors to get people to see the light around our mission. Oftentimes we'll go to happy hours in the town community and everybody there has talked to Carrie at some point over the past four years. I feel very lucky to lean into my background. Uh, I got my undergrad in computer science from Stanford and my master's in AI from Stanford. In fact, during my time at Stanford, I was the course assistant for ethics in computer science and AI. And so I've always come at technology from a lens of how do we do the right thing and how do we promote equity and equality at the same time. So at Searchlight, I focus a lot on our engineering teams delivering beautiful user experiences. I focus on our people science, so making sure that we look to hundreds of years of organizational behavior research and IO psychology research, and then the AI, which is leveraging the best that machines can offer us to bring efficiency and better outcomes to companies with always that ethical lens at the end of the day. That's super exciting. Uh, I, I'm, I've been just so encouraged over the last few years. I feel like artificial intelligence has just come a really long way, especially in our industry uh, within talent, uh, typically a laggard industry, right? Um, but really have been inspired by how AI is able to make the process actually more inclusive and more human. Um, whereas you, you asked that, that question three or five years ago, everyone was screaming, AI is going to take recruiters jobs. It's going to be too transactional. I mean, that just has not been the case. And, you know, Brian and I were really lucky enough to get a demo of, of your solution. And so like, and I'd love to just hear more, maybe for our listeners here, like, Tell us about the technology and, and what Searchlight does. Uh, I think it's super cool. I really believe in assessments. And it sounds like you, you kind of really bring that uh, together in a way that kind of eliminates bias, right? Fantastic. Absolutely happy to chime in more. So our goal is to really help companies understand people with data in a holistic way so they can hire and retain the right people. The way I say it to my team is, can we improve hiring efficiency quality of hire and talent density with every single hire that you make and onboard into your organization. So we provide predictive analytics that enhance the quality uh, and empower sources of recruiters to bring forward the right people, right? We are not meant to replace recruiters. I always, I always find this topic of recruiting so fascinating because I'm an engineer, right? And I like things that fit into boxes. I like finding solutions, but the wonder of this challenge is that there is no one-size-fits-all solution. There is always a art to the science of hiring. And what Searchlight does to try to bring science to hiring to complement that is we connect talent assessments and analytics to post-hire outcomes. One thing that a lot of technologists do today is that they will have assessments and they train on 
will they take the offer? Or how fast can you get a candidate through the pipeline? But at Searchlight, we always believe that the true win-win outcome is, do you stay? Do you thrive? Do you add to the culture? And do you ultimately produce amazing business outcomes? So for us, our connected talent intelligence pulls employee outcome data back into the assessment. So we look at enablement, performance, retention, belonging, post-hire. And then we bring it back into the assessment to surface predictive signals for long-term outcomes. It's been great so far. Thanks to Carrie, we signed up amazing customers like Coinbase, Udemy, Zapier, Upstart, and we've actually helped them reduce time to fill by 40% while increasing retention by 25%. That's amazing. It sounds like your goal really share, or your, your product really shares some of the goals that I think talent brand practitioners like Brian and I um, have, right? I think the biggest selling point that we say with talent branding is that, you know, when you put your vibe out there, you're going to better attract your tribe, right? And, and you're going to, um, you're, you're going to increase quality of candidate because they're, they're motivated by more than just, you know, money, they're more motivated by being a part of something bigger or a culture that they really believe in, you know? Uh, it, so it sounds like almost like your, your tool allows you to really get a better idea of what their vibe is uh, and, and, and whether they're going to fit with your tribe in a, in a way that uses, you know, object, objectable data versus just relying on the gut feel or whether I'd have a beer with that candidate or not. Right. How do you see, you know, someone like, like us, like a, a talent brand person in this profession utilizing Searchlight? Cause I, I obviously I see the benefits of assessments in the recruiting process, but I would love to hear how you're seeing it apply uh, to, to talent branding. Uh, I think that talent brand uh, professionals have just a tremendous uh, job and also a tremendous opportunity to actually impact the company because companies are just made up of their people, right? And it's talent brands jobs to attract the right people that will mesh with this tribe as well as staying. Uh, and I think that, you know, the research has shown over the last two years that more than anything else, people are looking for authentic connections and they're looking to belong in their new companies, especially when the common perks uh, at work, like the office space or, you know, the, the ping pong tables and the free food are no longer there. Well, what's the perk at work? It's the quality of the people and the quality of the community that you get to be a part of within the company. And so for talent brand folks, the more they can become data-driven and objective in how they craft their personas and they're able to craft their recruitment marketing campaigns, the better for them, the better they can make a pitch to the business, onto the ROI of their uh, of their initiatives, on their work, and the more they can talk to uh, hiring managers as to say, hey, this is what the right talent looks like. And so you can actually hire faster because you know what good looks like. And you can also hire better because these people are seen to stay and perform long-term. I think that in terms of also like uh, talent brand, you're always wanting to find ways to prove ROI. And so for us to be able to concretely tie uh, every hire with the quality of hire, as in, hey, are they projected to stay long-term? Are they expected to uh, perform? Um, that's an amazing way for talent brand folks to say, this is the impact I'm concretely making uh, onto the company, really elevate their roles within the business. I love that. It's so powerful. It's so, you, what you're saying is, is you're able, you know, essentially, intangibly, you know, talent branders could use your technology to sort of assess their, their best performers, to really get an understanding of their, their motivations, their work styles, 
to be able to craft content to attract those types of people. So to fill the front and funnel with quality, but then, then the sort of the coup de grace of employer branding is like, what's the ROI of it? And, and is the result of your employer brand efforts quality? So if, if, if Searchlight sort of integrated with the ATS, then, and we're out there doing our campaigns and running our recruitment marketing, and those people are going through the process, Searchlight's going and looking at their performance and telling you, hey, actually, the, the, that stuff you're doing, that employer branding activity, that investment you're making is turning to quality, quality, you know, into quality candidates, and we can prove it now. We actually have the data thanks to Searchlight. See that's that, that's the that's the tough part for me is it is it's 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 this elusive thing. So when I get into a conversation with a talent leader and they're like, "Oh, I want to talk about quality of hire." And I'm like, "Great. Well, is your front end does it is it tied back? Do you have a system on the back end that helps you connect the data points so that you understand how, not just how they're doing in their first 30 days because they have ramp, they have maturity, they have to build relationships and collaboration and they have to be subject matter experts internally and then they have to be guided by a manager and given feedback to help them improve and fit in and 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 elevate what they're doing so you really have to look at the data long term so i'm curious how how do y'all work with systems like what are how are you thinking about um the way that systems are connecting um the dots for that story yeah because the systems don't connect the dots right now it's just it's a one way from ats into the hirs to onboard maybe if you even have that let's be honest and so it doesn't go back right in in there is no feedback loop how, how does yeah I, i'd love to know what kind of technology you integrate with hundred percent. So one of our core product philosophies is that we meet our users where they already work. And so we've invested a tremendous amount of resources, thanks to Anna, on integrating with all major ATS and HRIS uh, platforms. And so we're looking at both pre-hire and post-hire data. And for the very first time, connecting the two so that we can bring talent management outcomes back into talent acquisition so that they can hire smarter. Uh, in fact, you know, our uh, partners at Zapier call Searchlight as giving them a learning loop in hiring for the very first time. And this brings together the talent acquisition team, the uh, HR team, and the L&D team into one place where all together they're improving the employee experience across the board. Yeah, so you touched on something there that is very near and dear to my heart, and that's L&D because... As we continue to hire and as recruiters and leaders talk about how difficult it is to get the talent that they need, they have to look at the people who are um, moldable, growable, people who have the potential to grow into the skill sets and the roles that these companies need and learning and development. So being something for me that has now kind of opened up with my with my day job, it's understanding how to, now do you think about that as a function of talent attraction because not only are you saying i have this this job to offer you it's now i have this job to offer you because i you have um you have a a a core set of skills that can map but you've also got skills that can be developed over time into these so you're building the actual career path for those people that's that's something that very, very few people can actually offer a recruit when they're trying to sell them the job. How have y'all thought about that up to now? I love that question. I think that this really ties into, well, how does Searchlight define a talent profile or even someone's talent story? And we see talent as just so much more than their technical skills and their experience. 
And the way that works is that we look at someone holistically. We're pulling in their technical skills. We're pulling in their soft skills. We're looking at their culture values alignment. And we're looking at their career interests. And it's truly understanding someone like that, that you can match that to a role and what a company can offer. And that is what literally will lead to better performance and retention over time. We use Searchlight ourselves and we hire, and it helps us tremendously to know, hey, what are someone's career aspirations? Where do they want to be in two years? And so when I give them an offer, how can I paint that picture towards how we can help develop them? How do we invest in them to get to where they want to go in a way that's win-win for them and the business? I love that. You know, and, and it's so interesting and for the times that we're in, I feel like when when I started in this profession of employer branding, it wasn't even a thing, right? And this is this phenomenon is especially happening in the technical world and other places that honestly, uh, folks in high school right now, you know, half of them are going to be doing jobs once they graduate from college and getting into the working world that do not currently exist. And so more and more, we are seeing this trend in the industry of less of a focus on educational background, less of a focus on, on technical skill set and more around capabilities or, you know, you know, predictive behavioral assessment to be able to understand where we can mold people. And so like, what would you say are, are, you know, what are some of the, I guess, the, the characteristics or the things that Searchlight can measure to give, you know, to kind of give them idea of those soft skills versus just, you know, the hard skills that, you know, a typical resume or ATS parsing technology does. We focus a lot on measuring capability and culture uh, as core to our talent profiles. It's not really just what did you do? It's what can you do? What do you want to do? And how do you do it? So for example, our profile could feature someone's adaptability and their quick learning ability as a core strength. And that to me as a hiring manager speaks volumes for what they could do on my team as an engineer. And it also helps inform how I will tap into that strength during onboarding, which is a very critical period in a new hire's life cycle. So given that we know that there's a move away from technical skills, we should pay a lot more attention into the intangibles, right? And so for us, that really is how do you do the job and what do you want to do? And what's beautiful about our approach is we care a lot about the individual's profile, but then we seek to match them to the career development opportunities at the manager level, team level, and ultimately at the company level. I love that. I think what really stood out to me was that you you asked them what they want to do, right? Not just do they want this job, but what, what do they want to do? Because there's something I always tell folks that I'm hiring on my own team um and and when I, and, and one once too um are you enjoying what you're doing are you enjoying your, do- your job um uh, what do you want to do next because what i have found just personally you know when it comes to motivating people if 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 if, if you're aligning the person to their passion that is when their best work happens and so what i what i really love about what you're saying with with with, with what you're building with searchlight is that we can now objectively you know, get that information in the hiring process and not just in a unstructured way, like through a recruiter's conversation, but like in a measurable, tangible way. Exactly. Actually, Searchlight's mission is to connect people to their 
purpose and passion through work. And we have hire managers saying that Searchlight is the crystal ball for what someone's like in a show, like on their first couple of days on the role. You don't have to wait six months to get a benchmark on their spikes, right? Their growth areas, which we all have, even the way that they communicate or prefer to collaborate, all of that is in Searchlight's data report. And in fact, our people science team has run a congruent validity and predicted validity analysis on our data reports in the past quarter. And we found that Searchlight's correlation scores are actually better correlated with on-the-job performance than measures that you mentioned, like past work experience, years of experience, education, right? So what we've shown is that through Searchlight's quantitative corroborated methodology to understanding your cultural alignment, yes, your technical skills, your working styles, strengths and gaps, career interests, we can actually get to a better idea of what you're going to be like on the job. We're actually starting from a place of both the, you know, a company with good talent and practices being vulnerable and in putting themselves out there, really what it's like to work there. And then you're making it possible to really understand the candidate and who they are when they come to work so that that there's clarity in the decision-making process on both sides. Uh, Absolutely. I actually see this challenge as, I don't know if you read a paper um, and it's an economic paper actually about doing, it was, it was research into the price of used cars. Not that people are used cars, bear with me. Okay. But people found that when trying to sell a used car, that when the seller is more upfront about the history of the car, right? And all the different parts of the car, they on average fetch higher prices than used cars in which you don't know anything about the history of the car, right? And so, I mean, taking that example aside, right? Like that's why I kind of see Searchlight solving mostly that data asymmetry challenge. Companies and individuals may feel like they're playing defense, right? They're trying to hide things or they're trying to always put their best foot forward. But what I like to believe is, is if you really focus on the alignment and oftentimes in that alignment, there is no good or bad. It is simply the truth that you will find a better long-term outcome and you will, you know, get a higher ROI for yourself and the company. Um, And so that's, why I believe in putting more information out there rather than not. Yeah. I love the, the transparency of that. Uh, there's a couple of thoughts that I have around that. Um, the first is I'm sure that there are risks to that. And I'm sure that there are things that y'all have found as co-founders. So you're not just, okay, we've built something and, and we, we want to go make a difference and we want this to change the way people hire and the way pe- talent is assessed and all the things, right, that, are, that drive that fit. Are there any surprises? Because y'all are using your own, and by the way, I like to refer to this as drinking our own champagne. Um, y'all are using your own technology. Are there any surprises as you've gone through that process that you you kind of were like, well, that's interesting. Or I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have expected that as you're, as people are going through these assessments that, that you're trying to hire. One thing that I've gotten more and more comfortable with is this idea of no perfect candidate. 
a lot of times when people take assessments, you want to maximize the score, right? We're all humans. We strive for excellence. And we just want to maximize some kind of quantifiable measure. As the product has expanded, we've actually moved more into questions where there is no right answer. So one of our, one of my favorite questions is actually around culture. So search as methodology is a multi-rater system, which based on the research is shown to be more predictive of on-the-job performance than someone self-rating. You can imagine that there are some dynamics of like reputation versus ego, right? That play into that dynamic. So a lot of times how people observe us on the job may not be how we see ourselves. But if you get the whole picture, you get a more accurate representation. So that's what we do at Searchlight. And then on the dimension of culture, we ask everybody um, on six different dimensions to tell us how someone prefers to deal with certain situations. These situations range from how do you deal with conflict to what is your first instinct when tasked with a project? Like, how do you collaborate? And in the beginning, this question had more of like a right or wrong, kind of like one through seven scale. But now it is a, both sides are equally good, but where do you fall? And then we asked the company to tell us, well, what is your culture currently? And what do you aspire your culture to be? And then that creates the match, right? And it's not a pure, okay, trying to like boost this number as high as possible, but really looking at how close is that match because both sides are equally good. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna commend you for asking your client companies two questions, two different types of questions about their culture because who they think they are and who they want to be are often two different things. They're often two different types of cultures. So what is their realistic culture and what is their aspirational culture? And I think that's, that's amazing in order to be able to understand the journey that they're on as a company. Um, I have, I'm curious. So, and this is kind of for everybody. What is, so you said you've got six different variations of asking people about the culture. What's y'all's favorite question to ask people to have them describe the culture where they work? I'm sure there's a question, right? There's a way, I'm sure there's one, you're, what's your go-to when you ask people that? How do you, I know, well, I know, I think I know yours well, but I'm curious, Carrie and, and Anna, what, what do you ask people? What's your question? And Anna, I can already see you scrolling through your, your actual questions around, around culture within your system. But mine is, what happens when stuff breaks? And this takes on a lot of different meanings, depending upon if you're talking to an engineer, or if you're talking to somebody on the people team, or if you're talking to somebody in ops, it's very, very different. And so the, the reaction is usually, oh, how do, how, do you, how do you respond, right? What's your response or your reaction? And then what do you do to fix it? And how do you communicate with each other in order to fix it? And so that tells me so much. So that's what, instead of saying, tell me about your culture, right? It's, it's what do you do? Like give them a, an actual visceral situation to respond to. Will, do you have a favorite? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's usually, I like to use this in, in sort of intro or even screening calls when we're just getting to know each other and they haven't learned a lot about our culture yet. Um, I like to understand, um, I'll ask questions like what, what kind of culture do you feel like you thrive in and why? 
because it, it gets me to understand what kind of culture they're looking for. And then it opens them up to talk about the intrinsic motivations as to why they want that kind of culture. And then it allows me to either respond but, and, and talk about how our culture would, would satisfy those motivations and that experience that they want or, or how it may contrast. The, the other one is, is to do the complete opposite and ask them about, you know, about uh, what kind of cultures do you not like being a part of? Because it gives me an idea of, of did they, are they culture conscious at the company they were at? And what were some bad experiences they had that I now as a recruiter have as, as quills to use throughout the hiring process of like, you said you didn't want a culture like this. We are, you know, and we aren't right. Um, and so that, that tends to be my favorite because it creates more of a conversation about culture um, than, than just uh, do you fit within our culture or not? I love your two examples because what it shows is that when we talk about culture, it's not about culture fit. It's about culture add, right? Every new person that you bring into your company, yes, you want to have some sort of match so that they can assimilate and feel connected from the first day. But at the end of the day, they are going to add to your company's culture. So it's very important to understand what does their ideal culture look like and where would they want to even steer the culture of the company in a certain direction. Yeah, and it's important that any company asking this question actually knows their culture and the culture within the team you're hiring. Because if you think about it, any one person's experience when if within a company and its culture is about like 25 people, like really, that they actually interact with on a monthly basis. Unless the unless the entire company is 25 people and then you know, right. And unless like, the entire company is 25 people, then it's the whole company. But 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 think about most companies that are doing the most hiring. Yeah. They have thousands of people, right? And so you have microcultures throughout, right? And so like for me, like I, I do an assessment of my teams to really understand what the gaps are because I may want someone who is really attention to details paired with somebody who's much more macro level. You need mm-hmm. both, right? There are these mm-hmm. these complementary, uh, 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 you know, s- soft skills that you need for a really um, dynamic and diverse team with different strengths. And so, what happens sometimes is I'll get two candidates that are both like on paper like really great for the role, and that would be so hard to choose. But then I look at their assessment, I see where they plot, and I go, ah, the work style. This is a gap for us. We don't have someone that's real process driven. This one candidate is. And so, bam, that's, that's, you know, that's my girl or that's my guy, right? Or, or whatever. And so, um, I really love the power of assessments to, to define, not just, but you have to know what your culture currently is uh, and of your team. Because if not, you could end up and you have a lot of like innovation, forward thinking people who are not put attention to detail and have no process, right? So I love that example because actually, if you look at the science, and there's been research on this, um, there's been research out of UC Berkeley showing that there are actually only six common vectors of culture. Every company uses their own language to describe these principal components, but one of them is actually attention to detail. So in the searchlight assessments, there is literally a slider question about, are you detail-oriented or vision-oriented, but gamified, of course. So I totally love that. And I was actually going to answer Brian's original question, which is how do I assess for culture and 
get some answers on that ideal culture for my candidates. I have kind of, I have a few. Number one, I always ask very open-ended, what are the top three factors that you're looking for next? And whether or not they share culture or people as one of the top three actually gives me a signal of how important that culture is to you, right? Like the lack of emphasis on culture is signal on of itself, in of itself. And then uh, the other question I ask is, describe your favorite teammate. Because as Will stated, usually culture is a, it's really a combination of people you work with closely. So if I can get a sense of what someone respects about their favorite teammate, then I know what they're looking for. And then in a very searchlight system, like a search, in a very searchlight way, I will ask them, okay, well, how does this teammate describe you? And then I'll get a sense of how this person shows up and adds to their ideal culture. So this is all very top of mind for us at Searchlight. We've actually quadrupled uh, in the past six to nine months. And we've already had huge shifts in culture and very active conversations around what we want the culture to be while also being realistic about where it is today. So you've quadrupled and does that number is also relative, right? So you could be like, Oh, we went from 10 to 40. And I don't know what the, what the, what the, what the top end number of that, of, of, and I don't know if you want to share and that's fine, but if not, but it's like thinking about how do you now work together in in that environment. And one of the things that a lot of our listeners are dealing with right now, um, they're either excited to deal with it or they're dreading dealing with um, the expectations of return to office. And, and, and what does that actually mean? How do you work together? How do you um, occupy the same space? How do you continue, if necessary, to work virtually? How are y'all tackling that um, how are you thinking about it and how are you using feedback that you're getting from your team to respond to that? A pretty fun development we've had in the last few months is that we've reopened our San Francisco headquarters. So we are going back to an office, at least for uh, the search lighters based in the Bay. And it was because our team really wanted that. They wanted a community hub. Uh, in fact, we had over 15 people working out of Anna and I's apartment for a year Whoa. because people wanted that experience. Yeah, it, we have a very connected community. No regrets, but definitely happy when we moved out. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm just envisioning like like the line for the bathroom or the kitchen sink. That's really what I'm thinking about. Yeah, our um, it's so funny. The doorknob to our house literally fell off from overuse because it was not expecting literally a, <laughs> a whole great. bunch of people using it day in and day out. Um, but essentially, uh, you know, we listened to our people to make this non-obvious decision to go back into an office while everyone was talking about remote work. Uh, Anna also alluded to this, but we're in the middle of refreshing our values because our culture has changed so much as we've grown. And it was because our search writers also asked for that. And I do think that for many companies, their cultures and teams have changed so dramatically over the last year, two years, that they should invest in their talent brand. They need to invest in their new employee value proposition because it's changed so much, uh, right? Their employer value proposition has changed so much in the last two years. And the only way that you can really understand how your culture is changing is if you continually measure it. 
You have a way of understanding with each new hire, how does your culture shift? You're able to get as granular into the level of microcultures by team, but without having to use, you know, manual uh, time and labor to get to that. And so I really feel that's what search tech technology can unlock for many companies is just a continuous pulse on their culture, their value proposition, and what their employees care about so that they can continue to attract the right people who are successful. So you're using your own technology to revamp your values based upon who your employees are today. I love that. And and I'm actually getting ready to go through this very same process. And it's going to be manual. And we're going to be getting, we're going to be meeting in rooms like this um, where we're talking through and people are virtual and some people are going to be in the same room and it's not all going to be a consistent experience. So I love that. And I wish I could snap my fingers and go through that process. Everybody likes to talk about AI and machine learning and it's, those are, they like to, they like to the idea of it, but I'm sure there are risks involved. And I'm curious, outside of um, Skynet being self-aware, what are the risks from y'all's perspective of AI in, in a hiring process? Like, what, are, what have y'all thought about? Absolutely. It's top of mind. We care a lot about ethical AI. And so we have weekly discussions talking about AI in our product. And we actually go through continuous cross-validation and audits of any prediction we make in the platform. So what we do is we look at, given a population, by we group it by ethnicity, we group it by gender, and then we try to understand if our predictions and measurements are at all causing adverse impact to different groups. And it's great that actually we've seen no adverse impact at all, which means that we are not incorrectly disadvantaging certain groups based on those factors. So that is our commitment to our team, our customers, and the job seeker market at large. We continually self-audit, we continually cross-validate, and we're also in the process of an external audit happening so that we can stand true to those values. For me, I think about the challenges of AI coming down to the simple fact that humans are human. And if an AI were to simply replicate uh, the decisions of a human, we would actually be subject to unconscious bias. And so we hold our models to a higher standard. And how we do that is, number one, we look to the science. We try to understand someone holistically and we make sure that the way that we assess is based on organizational behavior research, IO psychology research. Uh, Number two, we look at the data. So humans, we can only hold certain memories in our brain all at once. When we make decisions, we're not able to see as much data or patterns as machines can. And we have overexposure bias as humans. But thankfully, machines, as long as you're very careful about the kinds of data that you're using to train the models on, can see more. And they can generalize across larger data sets and more differences. And then, of course, there's the risk, though, right? That what if the machine is learning the wrong things? That's, again, where the auditing and cross-validation comes in. 
And that's why we have that as part of our process as well. That's awesome. I think it's important for our listeners to understand that that, that's not normal. Uh, Not all AI companies do as much internal validation or external validation. So that's, I think that's just awesome um, that you do that. Thank you so much for joining and hanging out with us for a little bit. Um, But thank you so much, both of y'all, Carrie and Anna. Thank you both. Thank you.